There we go. Helps if I flip the switch. Sorry, Wes. I was just trying to get the feedback at this point. Oh my goodness, it is good to be together today. And I just want to say a very special thank you to our worship team, um, to our hospitality team, to our LCH Kids volunteers, to our media team, and anyone who is serving in any capacity. Y'all, we could not do this without the team of people that comes here on a Sunday morning before some of us are even out of bed to get here and make this happen, that we can celebrate and worship together. So y'all, let's give a hand to everyone who is serving. Well, y'all, as we are in this third week of Reimagine Discipleship, I want to just do a quick recap of where we have been and, and look to where we are headed. Y'all, this is about following Jesus. Discipleship is about following Jesus. And I love how Allison last week brought us into this place of, of picturing how we can't get ahead of God if we are out ahead of where Jesus is leading us, then really we're following our own way, right? How can we follow Jesus if we're ahead of him? That our eyes have to be fixed on where Jesus is going. The other thing that really stood out to me from last week's message, and Allison brought this so well, and we talked about it a good bit at the story on Tuesday, which is a great space. If you want to dive deeper into the message and you want to like ask more questions and you want to just work with the, the scripture, you know, on Tuesday nights at 7 o'clock at Bonshan, we are meeting together and we are just doing a deeper dive into where the message goes on Sunday. And the conversation goes a lot of different directions, and it is beautifully chaotic, and I invite you into that beautiful chaos, okay? It is a space where we can wrestle, and we can struggle together. We can also find answers, and we can also grow in our relationship with Jesus, following behind. The thing that we talked about this week a good bit, and that Allison brought out so beautifully is that even as we are followers of Jesus, sometimes we get in this place of anticipating where the next turn is going to be, right? Have, have you, like, right, if you're following the GPS directions and you're, like, you're looking ahead to what the, the turn, a turn from now is going to be? And in that, we can miss a turn that Jesus takes because we're so fixed on where we think Jesus might be leading us. So being able to just be so present and following so closely behind, right? That we talked about the dust of the rabbi's sandals falling on us, that that's how close we are following to Jesus. One of my favorite bumper stickers these days, y'all, have you seen it? On the back of a car that says, do you follow Jesus this closely? <laughs> It's, I, I, I'm going to get one. Um, it's, but I love it, right? Like that idea, right? We should be following Jesus closer than we're following the car in front of us. But so closely that what is coming up off the ground as we follow is falling on us. That dust of the rabbi's sandals. And so as we're following him, we are finding our belonging in Jesus. 
And in finding our belonging with Jesus, we are becoming like Jesus so that we may also do as Jesus did. It is this concert of things that are shaping and forming us to be disciples. Discipleship reimagined is this, the spiral of these three things churning, right? And it's not in any particular order. They're all happening at the same time. As we be with Jesus, we become like Jesus and we do as he did. And as we do as he did, we are actually in community with him. And as we are in community with him, we can't help but be shaped and formed, becoming like him. And so this is the process, right? It is how we reimagine discipleship. So previously, aka last week, on reimagine discipleship, Jesus shares with his disciples the text from chapter 8 in, in Mark. Jesus shares with his disciples that they will have to follow him to the lowest place. Jesus talks about them taking up their cross to follow Jesus. This foretelling of what is to come, that Jesus himself will go to the lowest place, suffering death. And so that the disciples too will have to pick up their cross and they too will suffer death for the cause of the kingdom coming. But today, Today, we find ourselves walking with Peter, James, and John up to a high place that we are going to be invited with the inner circle of Jesus, the three who were probably the closest, right? Not that they're competing to be the closest. Those of you who have been watching The Chosen get to see that play out, right? That they are often in this place of trying to be closest to Jesus. But these three in particular, right, are often invited with Jesus to witness things, to experience things, and to participate in things that some of the other disciples will later hear about. And so today, us, all of us in this room, all of us tuned in online are being invited with those three to go with Jesus to a high mountain, to a high place to meet with him. And so let's take a look at the scripture for today. Coming from Mark chapter 9, we're going to go verses 1 through 13. And so we're, we're actually overlapping with last week's message on that first verse. It's how we ended last week and how we're starting this week. I'm going to invite you to stand as I read it aloud. You're welcome to follow along if you want to do that on your phone or from your Bible. It will also be on the screen. So I invite you to follow along here as we share. Again, Mark chapter 9, verses 1 through 13. And he said to them, Truly I tell you, Some of you who are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. 
And there he appeared, there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. But what the heck? <laughs> Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them. And a voice, a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, why do the teachers of the law say Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they have done to him everything they wished, just as it is written about him. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. So we find this account called the transfiguration. That's a fun word, transfiguration. We find it in all three of the synoptic gospels. That is Matthew and Luke in addition to Mark. So we get it three times, and it is very close to the same exact telling. There are a few details between the three that, that help actually illuminate it for the other. But in order to really grasp what is going on here, we have to like take a step back and we have to orient ourselves to re the relationship between heaven and earth before we can really dive into what is happening here. So we often think of heaven as God's dwelling place, and that's great, and that is, that is a beautiful picture of heaven, God's dwelling place. But we often think of it as some far-off place that we go when we die. But that is not the picture that Scripture is really giving us. So let's do a quick dive in here, channeling my inner Matt Leroy, for those of you who know this whiteboard. This is the, I think it even says somewhere on here, the Matt Leroy whiteboard. Um, it is a special, special thing. Um, but we see in creation that heaven and earth are one, that they are the same place. In Eden, Eden gives us this picture of God's dwelling place in creation, that God walks among the cool of the day with the created order. Humanity, here where heaven and earth overlap. And I realize that you on this side of the room are going to have trouble seeing. Um, <laughs> so heaven and earth in this place, but what 
happens. It's all spoken into existence. It's beautiful. There's this communion, relationship between the creator and the created order. But what happens? Right? There is brokenness that enters into this picture. That deception comes from the evil one. Yes, sin is what we call it. Where out of heaven and earth, Adam and Eve, the created image bearers, are sent out to pursue their own ways because evil has convinced them that they should be their own gods, that they are somehow entitled to be equal to God. And so there is this brokenness where a chasm forms, and now there is heaven and there is earth. That there is distance between the creator and the created order. And so in this broken place, right, evil begins to have power and dominion in, <clears throat> in the earthly place. And so God is not leaving this all to itself, though. God continues to be committed to the creation, to work with them, to continue to draw them to his heart, to make a way for them to get back. But when this happened, there's a flaming sword and there's cherubim saying, you can't come back the way you went out. There is a way forward a way forward that flows through the stories we know of Noah, the stories we know of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and through the prophets over and over again, God is opening the door to relationship between humanity and himself, inviting always into relationship. And so then we have Jesus on the scene. Jesus comes and begins announcing the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is breaking in. In to the earthly place, right? We still have heaven and earth. Come on, marker, don't fail me now. But there is this overlap, and this is what Jesus is announcing, that this heaven is breaking in. Heaven is breaking into the earthly realm. That this promise, this hope that we have of restoration back to that Eden place is underway. That from the first entering of sin into the picture, that this broken relationship, God is committed to restoring it. And so Jesus comes announcing 
that this, this overlap has begun. And the plan is that heaven continues to move into the earthly place that one day it will fully be restored. That what we get in Revelation, the last book of the Bible, right, that these two are finally fully one again. Not just a little overlap, but complete overlap where you can't tell the difference just as it was in Eden. Orientation, heaven and earth. This is where we are. Jesus, here, us, here, together, in the overlapping space. Y'all, the Bible Project has a great video on this, and it is a little bit longer than what I just did, but I want to encourage you, in the teaching resources on the Sunday page, if you get home or you're listening to this online and you're like, wait, what? <laughs> the Bible Project has a video, Heaven and Earth. It is linked on the Sunday page. I encourage you to check that out. It will help as we continue to proceed and think about this relationship of us with Jesus, relationship of heaven and earth, and what this journey is about. So we find ourselves with Jesus, Peter, James, and John going up a high mountain. You can see in this particular scenario how when people are going to a high place, it is communicating that it's, it's a closer place to heaven, right? The idea of going to a high mountain is that they are closer to the heavens, right? They're closer, they're higher in the sky. And so this imagery of going to a high place is going to be closer, to be closer to the one who made them. So Jesus invites Peter, James, and John to go up a mountain, but they had no idea what was coming next. Jesus transfigured before them, right? That he starts beaming, right? And he is, he's gleaming brightly. The other, the other gospels describe this as being white as snow, being bright like lightning, his face shining or glowing. The Greek word here for transfigured is metamorpho. I'm going to invite you to say that with me. Metamorpho. Metamorpho. It's just a fun word to say. And the really cool thing is, the only time that this word appears in the New Testament is in the three accounts of the transfiguration. It is a special word to describe this outward change in appearance. The Oxford Dictionary defines transfiguration as a complete change of form or appearance into a more beautiful or spiritual state that this outward appearance change of Jesus, 
that they're like walking along this trail and all of a sudden, like, it just starts getting brighter? Like, can you imagine for a moment walking along the trail and Jesus just keeps getting brighter and brighter? Like, what is going on here? But then not just that Jesus transfigures, there are two people from the past, Moses and Elijah, who just appear, like, out of nowhere? What in the world? But we're reminded in this, right? Like how they recognized that it was Moses and Elijah. That's the question like I want to ask and I want to know. And we just won't. But we can talk about it on Tuesday night if you want to come hang out. But Moses and Elijah have their own mountaintop experiences. They have their own stories of going up a mountain and meeting with God, right? Moses has the story of receiving the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, right? That he goes up, the mountain is enveloped in a cloud. He hears the voice of God and is given the Ten Commandments etched into stone. And then we have Elijah, who meets with God on top of Mount Carmel in defeating the prophets of Baal, or Baal, depending on how you want to pronounce it. Another fun word. But he calls down fire to burn up the altar set before God, the altar that was supposed to be set on fire by the prophets of Baal, that their God might, might also burn up the altar, but that didn't happen. Elijah calls upon the name of the Lord and has this holy conference with him. Moses, in his own holy conference, right, this connection with God, Elijah. And so now, right before the disciples, in front of them, there is this holy conference that Peter, James, and John are observing, right? That It actually says they're talking to each other, but didn't Moses die? Elijah, like, okay, Elijah gets a pass because he was caught up in a whirlwind and taken to heaven, maybe, right? But what? We know them to have passed on or to moved into the heavenly realm. Moses is there repping all of the law, right? He represents the law given by God to the people of God that they might live in right relationship with him. And Elijah is repping all the prophets, all of the prophets who spoke the words of God to the people of God, leading them, pleading with them to repent and turn back to relationship with the one who made them. Over in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, Jesus says that he didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. That in him, in chapter 7 of Matthew, in him is the summary of all the law and the prophets. And it's this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And these two, Moses and Elijah, they make another appearance described as coming in the final book of the Bible in Revelation 
they appear in the images seen by John leading up to the setting right of all things, that they are a part of the process and the demonstration of heaven and earth becoming one again, the restoration of the heavenly realm and the earthly realm becoming one. Have you ever said something because you felt like you needed to say something, because you're in a space where you're like, nobody's saying anything, and then you wish you hadn't said anything because what you said maybe wasn't at all helpful. Peter. We can count on Peter to say the thing, right, that many people are thinking, but no one else wants to say. And so Peter makes this, like, just kind of... Uh, Hail Mary, if you will, <laughs> um, to like get something on the books. And it's recorded for all of history that it says he didn't know what to say because he was scared. Right? But let us put up three tents for you, for Moses and Elijah. He's not just saying, like, on one hand, I could see where he's like, okay, this is amazing. Let's just stay here and not leave. Let's put up some shelter. But there's also a connection here to the tents, sometimes referred to as booths, which is actually this festival in Jewish history where they remember God leading them out of slavery in Egypt. And they make camp just before they enter the promised land, this land that was promised to them. They're on the other side of the Jordan waiting to go in and so they've set up these booths to commemorate what God has brought them through to deliver them into this place of communion with God. And so Peter is saying, let's, let's make like, this a commemorable moment. Let's make this a celebration of what we are witnessing, that we are seeing heaven breaking through. And then the voice, the voice comes out of this cloud enveloping the mountain, right? The voice from heaven announcing, Jesus is the one. Jesus is my son. Listen to him. If you feel like you've heard that somewhere before, just a couple weeks ago, when we, we witnessed Jesus' baptism, we see these words very similarly, right? Behold, this is my son, my beloved. One specific difference here in this place on the Mount of Transfiguration from the baptism is that there is a direct and specific command that says, listen to him. Listen to him. To follow him. We must hear his voice to follow him so closely, right? Just as a sheep knows the voice of the shepherd, listen to him. Sometimes these big and very seemingly outlandish scriptures um, need some help for us to relate. And so there's a beautiful painting. I don't know how it will show up on the screen. There it is. 
that is actually pretty recent by Mike Moyers, sorry, I can say it, Mike Moyers, who is a theological impressionist, that this is the type of art that he does. This was actually done in 2019 to tell the story of the transfiguration. And so the beauty of the bright Jesus, right, that we can hardly see because it is so bright with Moses and Elijah on either side. And I love that the disciples are here at the bottom, almost like hiding or down against the ground, trying to make sense, watching everything, taking it in. And so we're invited also to take in this picture, what we are witnessing, right? We get to witness this. But there is also an invitation for us to experience it and to participate in it. Can you imagine having this experience and then walking back down the mountain? You're like, I'm glad they came back down the mountain so that we have the story. But can you imagine walking back down? Peter, James, and John are like, the guys are not going to believe this, right? And then Jesus is like, you're right, because you're not going to tell them. <laughs> what? We can't even talk about this until the Son of Man dies and then is raised from the dead? Like, we don't even know what that means. When does that happen? And then one last time, right, as if the voice of God coming from the cloud in that place, saying, listen to him right? This is my son. They're trying to make sense of it and put this puzzle together. They're like, but, but Elijah, Elijah has to come again, right? Remember the prophet Malachi? He tells us that Elijah is going to come before the great day of the Lord and restore all things. Jesus is like, yeah, in case anyone is wondering, Elijah has come. Elijah's already been here, and he's done his thing. His name was John the Baptist. And so, in case you were wondering, in case you were waiting for that last moment to be like, oh, Elijah's here, now's the invitation. Now, come, follow. You don't have to wait on Elijah anymore. Another thing, when there is a scripture like this that's like hard to grasp, we can be reading it over and over again or listening to it over and over again. Sometimes changing translations, hearing it from another voice can be helpful. You know, Pastor Allison, a couple of weeks ago, introduced me to a thing <laughs> called the Gen Z Bible. The Gen Z Bible is a translation of the King James Version of the Bible into Gen Z lingo in all of its slang. I hold the word of God extremely high, right? Like this, it is our guide. It is the word of the Lord speaking to us. And through generation and generation, Y'all, sometimes we need, we need to hear it in a, word, in a way that makes sense to us. 
I am not Gen Z, in case you haven't noticed or put that together. I have kids who are. <laughs> and so I get the slang, and I get to hear, and I'm like, right, trying to understand and relate. As far as I can tell, and as I have read in different places of the Gen Z Bible, it does a really amazing job of bringing it to life for a particular generation. And for those of us who are not in that generation, it also helps us to see things through the lens of the up-and-coming generation. None of us in this room are getting any younger. I jumped at Sky Zone yesterday. Reminder, I'm not getting any younger. <laughs> and so, the Gen Z translation, I want to share it with you, okay? I just, just let this wash over you of what we are reading right now. Maybe for some of you, it will help bring it to life. Maybe for others of you, it will raise more questions. And both of those are good things. Bring the questions on Tuesday, okay? So here we go. This. <laughs> this is the Gen Z translation of Mark 9, 1 through 13. Yo, listen up, fam. For real. I'm telling you straight up, there are some of y'all right here who are not going to kick the bucket until you witness the kingdom of God showing up in all its epicness. So like after six days, Jesus grabs Peter, James, and John and takes them up this super tall mountain away from everyone else. And then boom, Jesus starts glowing and changing before their eyes. And his outfit was like super lit, shining so bright, even whiter than fresh snow, like no clothing brand can make them that white. And then Elias and Moses showed up and started chatting with Jesus. And Peter was like, yo, Jesus, this place is lit. We should totally set up three sick tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elias. He didn't know what to say because they were really scared. So like there's this huge cloud that totally covered them and then a voice boomed out of the cloud saying, yo guys, this here is my super beloved son, okay? You better listen to what he's got to say. And just like that, when they turned their heads, they were like, uh, where'd everybody go? It was just Jesus chilling with them. After they came down the mountain, he told them not to spill the beans about what they saw until the Son of Man came back from the dead. And they were like totally keeping that saying in their minds and like discussing with each other what it meant to rise from the dead. So they were asking him, like, why do the scribes keep saying Elias has to come first? And he was like, yo, listen up. Elias will totally come before anyone else and fix all the things that got messed up. And it's written, the Son of Man must go through a whole lot of suffering and be treated like he ain't even important. Yo, listen up. Let me tell you, Elijah has totally arrived and they did whatever they wanted to him, just like was so predictably written. <laughs> it's, this, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, right? Thanks be to God there, right? This is relatable. <laughs> yes, we can laugh about it. 
right? But if it draws us, if it is drawing someone deeper to ask more questions, right? This is a beautiful thing. And here comes one of my Gen Z daughters right now. Are you proud or are you like, oh my gosh? (laughs) Wow. So, drawing us, inviting us to experience this, to participate in this. Is there a modern-day transfiguration experience for us, for you, and for me? Is this just an event that happened like 2,000 years ago that the inner circle experienced? We get to look in on it. We get to witness it. But is there more for us as we are being with Jesus, as we are becoming like Jesus, as we do as Jesus did? Friends, we are invited with unveiled faces to enter into God's holy presence here and now. The transfiguration scene is actually playing out here and now. We are invited not just to witness it, but to participate in it. Our friend J.D. Waltz at Seedbed says that this, the transfiguration, is not a distant reality that we hope in. It is a present reality that we hope from. That this reality, the closeness of heaven and earth, is as close now and maybe even closer. That the kingdom is coming in this place. That this is not about chasing mountaintop highs, right? We, you know some of those people, right? Maybe you are one, that you are looking for the next mountaintop experience, but that we are following Jesus so closely that whether we are at the depth of a valley or we are in a high place, that in those places we can glimpse right in front of us heaven coming right in front of us. But we have to understand it doesn't just happen. It isn't just given to us to have this kind of experience, right? It requires us, it requires of us a holy surrender that we are practicing the ways of Jesus day by day. Some of you in this room are training for a marathon. Some of you have trained for marathons and run marathons. Some of you are about to run a marathon For those who are currently training and about to run a marathon, y'all, what if I just decide now, I'm going to run that marathon next week? How's that going to go? Good luck, right? Yes, it's not going to happen, right? Or for me, it's not going to happen. A half marathon is also not a reality, right? If I just decide to go out and run 13 today. If I go try to run a 5K today, that's probably not going to happen either. But aside from that, it takes training, right, over the course of months and weeks to prepare for a marathon. It takes 
practice. It takes training, right? More realistic for me, if I want to go be a world-class whitewater kayaker, I can't just hop in my boat and go run class five whitewater. It takes practice and it takes training. And I should go to the whitewater training center in Charlotte more often, but I don't. For us, if we want to experience the glimpses of heaven where the veil between heaven and earth is pulled back so that we can see the reality of heaven breaking through, we practice the ways of Jesus. We train for it. And so what does transfiguration look like for us today? It can look like serving those who are in need. To be caring for the orphan and for the widow. Adopting a child that is not your own. Being a foster parent. Sharing a meal with someone that you've just met on the street. Walking with someone in a health crisis. Being there being so close to know their need, to even anticipate their need before it arises. Even worshiping together, y'all, as we come in to this space week after week, we can experience the transfiguration. The transfiguration of the veil being pulled back between heaven and earth. Y'all, it is a transfiguration, maybe a transformation of this space. Back to thank you to our volunteers. It is a transformation of this space. When we come into this historic movie theater and turn it into a place of worship, gum under the seats and all, it's a part of our experience that we are being together in community, worshiping, So week in and week out, we have the opportunity to experience heaven breaking through in this space together. When we commune together at the Lord's table, an experience of the veil between heaven and earth being pulled back, that the one whose body was broken on our behalf, the one whose blood was spilled on our behalf, but also for the entire world that heaven comes closer to earth as the kingdom is drawing near. As we take the bread and dip it in the cup, the very taste of heaven entering into this earthly place. Through each of the nine practices that we talked about just a couple weeks ago, through the practicing of rest, through the practicing of prayer, fasting, solitude, engaging with scripture, being in community, practicing simplicity and generosity and hospitality. These are the things of heaven, that our hearts are focused on the things of heaven, not of this world.
that when we, in this overlapping space, fix our hearts on the heavenly things, heaven is drawn nearer to us into this world. Hmm. I'll wrap with this. Dr. King, Martin Luther King Jr., his final speech was, I have been to the mountaintop. And the final lines of his speech are both eerie and incredible. Just the day before he was assassinated. Hear his words. He said, well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop and I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to go on to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. He allowed me to go up to the mountain and I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you. But I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. And I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Friends, are you ready to see the coming of the glory of the Lord? That the veil be torn back, that you can see the heavenly reality that is right in front of us. Heaven is not far off. It is breaking in. Moses, Elijah, Peter, James, <clears throat> and John, Dr. King, y'all, they are all people like us. <clears throat> they are people who are realizing the nearness of heaven and earth. They are people living in faithful obedience, following the one whose voice is calling, come, follow me. And so we are invited to be transfigured from the inside out. You're invited into the transfiguration today. Lord, we want more of you today. Friends, if you want to see through the veil, I would love to just pray with you. If that is you, if you are longing for the mountaintop and to see the promised land, to see the coming of the glory of the Lord, I'm just going to invite you to stand where you are. And I would love to pray over you as we move to the table. If that's you, I just invite you to stand and receive.
Lord, you see our hearts. You see us where we are. That we are longing. That as we stand together, we want more of you. We want to see the heavenly reality breaking in to Chapel Hill. Into our lives into all of the places we go from here. We want your heavenly reality, Lord, more of you. We ask you to remove any barriers that keep us from seeing with your eyes. We ask you to remove any barriers to meet us in the sin that might hold us back from experiencing your kingdom coming and participating in its arrival. Lord, we want to see your coming in the glory, just like Peter, James, and John saw the fullness of your glory in that moment of transfiguration. We reveal yourself to us today. Reveal yourself to us as we taste and see the goodness of your body broken, your blood poured out for us and for the whole world. We pray all this in the mighty and holy name of Jesus. Amen. Friends, our servers are going to come and offer the bread, and the cup. And we invite you to tear off a piece, dip it in the cup. And you can receive it here or receive it as you go back to your seat. Friends, I'm going to be on this side. If there's a specific way I can pray with you to encounter the heavenly realm today, I would love to do that. Friends, come to the table. Taste and see that the Lord is good.